a light bulb is just a simple glass globe. And if it's put on a desk or a table, it is not only useless, but probably dangerous, could fall off. But if it's fixed to a lamp, if it's screwed into a socket and plugged into a light uh, power source, its existence is useful, it's powerful, it's purposeful, it's helpful. Apart from our Creator's plan, um, you and I are, I think, somewhat similar to a light bulb outside its socket. But when we mesh with, when we're connected to, and understanding and following God's original design and purpose and uh, focus for us as human beings, our lives expand, our lives become purposeful, and we, we, we become what God meant us to be. That's what we're going to be talking about today through God's Word. And before we look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, let's pause for a moment and ask for God to, to bless our time together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege we have of joining together in this place or in our homes to worship you this morning and to hear from your word and through the ministry of your spirit instruction for us today. So we pray that you'd guide us, you'd bless us, you'd give us understanding and wisdom as we look into your word and we thank you for doing that for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're at station number three in our beginnings series that we started, well, actually we started a, a month and a half ago or so on Mother's Day, but then formally began it last week as we examined Genesis chapter one and the picture of God that's given us there. Genesis chapter one starts with, by answering the big question, who am I? Who are you? Where are you going? What's your purpose in life? Tomorrow, of course, you know, is Father's Day. And as Pastor, Pastor John mentioned and our wonderful young adults who shared, what a, a glorious celebration that is. So today, I thought, what better way, since we're at the, in the book of beginnings, to talk about the beginning of fatherhood. Now, that doesn't mean that you are unwelcome, ladies, uh, I'm glad you're here. In fact, there will be plenty of takeaways from this study of Scripture for you. But our focus today is going to be on manhood. And I called the title Man Up. Man Up. So <laughs> a little bit tongue-in-cheek there. But the Bible presents the crowning achievement of God's creation work as being humankind. At the end of the first chapter of Genesis, the whole account focuses on the sixth day and man and woman being created in, in God's image. Here's what it says, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Three times the word created is used in that verse as if it wasn't being said enough. But the focus is being made here on God's uh, ultimate creation, man and woman, the, the jewel of the creation week. 
God brings into existence something of very special quality. Every other animal and being is just a plant or an animal, and that's all it will ever be. But man and woman are unique. They're special. They're created, it says, in God's image with a a special capacity, a God-given capacity to know their creator in personal relationship. God, as our creator, gave us specific directions to live our lives. Life according to his direction is blessed. It goes well. It's good. It's purposeful. And there is a joy that's experienced in, in living life the way God meant it to be lived. God created us to live. But if I ignore his insights, I do so to my own detriment. Looking at the landscape of life today, particularly in the United States, it seems that things are unraveling. I'm sure you sense that as well. There's chaos and confusion and it's compounding at every level. And I think it's because we have ignored and rejected the Creator's direction. All around us, we see broken lives. We see broken dreams and broken families, hopes and, 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 and uh, challenges. God didn't intend this brokenness. He didn't create us and plop us down on earth and say, happy birthday, I hope things go well for you. That's not the way God did it. He has directions that guide us from broken living and mend us through challenging times as we follow his directions. The directions are fleshed out, I think, in this first chapter and the second one as well in three words that although they're not spoken in particular i think they summarize god's teaching for us as human beings but in particular for us as men and the first i'd like to focus on is one word identity identity genesis just chapter 1 verse 27 that says that humankind was made in the image of god in the image of god now that is a deep and profound teaching. The Apostle Paul takes that teaching and in his letter to the Rome, uh, church in Rome highlights this same truth in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 where he says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Look at that verse. God's goal, God's purpose, God's plan is for us to be like Jesus. Men, this is a challenge for you. We're, this is Father's Day weekend. Your challenge is Christ-likeness. To be, to live in the image of God. It's not adequate enough to merely say, Jesus is my Savior. I've accepted Him. That's important. That's, that's a start. That's essential. But that's merely a beginning. That's merely the first step. What God wants is for me to be in his image, for me to be transformed in his likeness daily 
day after day, reflecting his thoughts, his desires, his justice, his love, his mercy, his integrity, his fidelity. He wants me to reflect that in my life, through my actions, through my thoughts, through my intents, through my motives. That's God's calling to me as a man. That's God's calling to you too, women. Some say that human beings aren't all that special. They're just merely the most complex. That's, you know, important. That most highly organized and intelligent animal in sea, air, or land. That's what they say. And that's all they say. But if that's all we are, that's not much. We were designed, the Bible says, in God's image. We were designed to, to be like God himself. During the COVID-19 crisis, our school system was challenged to educate in a new way. I know there was a bit of it going on beforehand, but all of a sudden, teachers had to learn to teach in different ways. They had to think of testing and, and outcomes and measurements and what it means to succeed in a new and different way. But just like education means more than just skills and knowledge, being a Christian, being a godly man means more than just following God's rules. I like the, the way that God put it in his instruction to his people recorded in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse number 2. He says, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. In other words, God is saying in this verse, Be like me. He's inviting us, Be like me. That's what manhood is. Be like me, says God. That's what womanhood is. Be like me. Or as Paul told the church in Ephesus, Put off your old and corrupted ways, your deceitful self and all those challenging things. And verse number 23 and 24 of Ephesians chapter 4, he says, be made new. Be recreated in the attitude of your minds, notice. In the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's our calling, friends, men and women. Jesus himself embodied true masculinity, true human humanness, actually. True manhood, then, and true womanhood is appropriating Christ into my life by daily prayer, by daily study, by service, by living my life for his honor and glory so that gradually, day after day, month after month, year after year, I become like Jesus. That's my goal. That's your goal. That's our challenge. Men, you were created to live and be in the image of God. That's God's calling for you. Christ is your example. Our goal as men of God created in God's image, in God's likeness, is to become all that that image of God in us is possible to achieve. That's our goal. 
to mirror by the Spirit's power, by the Spirit's work, our Creator. What, what an amazing goal that is. So that's, that's our first point. Identity. The second point is dignity. Okay, so some people in the world are far from this kind of thinking that we've been speaking of. Rather than thinking of humankind as dignified and special by design, they think of themselves, of humanity, of manhood, more in the line of what Ernest Hemingway said, his assessment of life. It was this, in a few words. Life, it was nothing at all, and man was nothing too. How do you like that for a story of human life? It's nothing at all, and man is nothing too. And so someone went on to say that we're, we're no more than an accident suspended between two accidents. <laughs> In other words, our birth is an accident, our life is an accident, our end is an accident. Genesis tells us a different story. Genesis tells me I am made in God's image. And God has a divine purpose for me, for you. And that, and that confers to me and on you a dignity, an amazing dignity. And that dignity impacts everything. We're more than just moral creatures. We know right from wrong. We know good from evil. God put that capacity in us. You see that here at the beginning in our creation when God said in Genesis chapter 2, verses 9 and then 16 and 17, in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Going on and it says, and the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Now from this, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Adam knew exactly what was acceptable and what was unacceptable to God. He knew where the boundaries were. He was acquainted with that. He was aware. He knew what was acceptable and what was not. And since we know what's right and what's wrong, we're obligated to do that. That's our destiny. Unfortunately, today, boundaries are being blurred because there's something that's more important to people today, to our generation, and that is personal rights. Personal rights today are considered as more important than human dignity. Let me just explain that a little bit. We talk today about the rights. We have the right to life. We have the right to choose. We have the right to employment, regardless of our race or color or ethnicity. We have the right to bear arms. We have the right to equal treatment, to equal pay. We have the right. We hear about, that's what it seems like everything is about today. We have the right. We have the right. The list goes on and on. But life, as God designed it, is more than merely rights. It's more than merely rights. If we truly believe in the dignity of every human being, as we should, because 
We are God's creation. If we truly believe that dignity, then human rights will follow dignity. If I believe that you are a person of innate dignity, then I'm going to give you rights that you should have. I'll treat you that, that way. When I value human dignity, when I consider you a child of God, created by God, in God's image, automatically I protect your rights. I do that. I will treat you. I will react toward you with dignity. When I merely esteem rights, that doesn't mean that I value your dignity. And that's the challenge as I see it today. If women or men or minorities or the marginalized or whoever, whoever are treated with godly dignity as God designed, they will never suffer from degrading harassment in the workplace, on the city streets, in schools, in politics, in business. Never, if we really believe and treat people with the dignity with which we should. In man's first home, God made, God taught us Adam, Eve, the difference between right and wrong. Adam knew his boundaries. He was quite clear about those. He knew what was acceptable, what wasn't. Unfortunately, today, we are surrounded by a generation of people that are following a multitude of codes. Boundaries are blurred. Can you imagine, for example, what it would be like to travel down a multi-lane highway without any markings, signs, or paint. What would that, I mean, can you imagine that kind of an experience? It's a little bit easier to imagine here in Walla Walla, but put yourself down in a large city like Los Angeles. Can you imagine driving, I mean, just right here, through a traffic light without the signal working? What would you do? What would go on? Accidents and confusion would be the order of the day. No one would know how to proceed. Uh, there would be certain rules, but it would be like jungle ball. You know, no one complains at all about lanes in freeways or markings that tell directions and even speed limits. Those are for our benefit. Those are for our safety. God has given us signs, road signs, directions, guidance. And he calls on us, men, I'm challenging you, men and women, to live those signs, teach those truths, to be leaders in that regard. He calls us to be moral teachers, being responsible before him to instill in others, those under our charge, the moral values based on God's word. Our homes are to be places where God's ways, his ways of truth and goodness, virtue, mercy, justice are exemplified and taught. I, think, I just thank God for these um, young ladies and men, James, that, that told the story, the story of their fathers. And, and I was listening and heard that, that these men are men that have stepped into that and are making their homes a place where God's way is taught. God's ways are exemplified. If you think, men, 
that what's done in your home, in the privacy of your own home, is your own business, think again. Think again. Robert Coles, a famous psychiatrist and teacher from Harvard, says this, moral intelligence isn't only acquired by memorization of rules and regulations. The child is an ever-attentive witness of grown-up morality, sort of like the Duffield daughters told about their dad, taught them not only principles of truth and righteousness, but took them out and showed them how to swing a hammer, I suppose that was part of it, pull a nail, turn a screwdriver, and not only that, but live righteousness, live truth and integrity. You know, a, a child, like, like the psychologist said, a child is an ever-attentive witness of grown-up morality. They're watching, aren't they? They're watching everything. Children learn from adults, not just their words, but their actions. The Bible says it in a different way, but just as profound, even more profound, when it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and sections of 1 to 7, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God and so that you may enjoy a long life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's God, what God wants us to do, to live these principles, to live out His commands and, and, and truths. You know, there's a brokenness in the world today that's directly related to our failure in the home to pass along to our children the benefits of moral, spiritual, emotional instruction. That's really at the root of society's breakdown. God doesn't intend that we just guess our way through life. He calls us men and women to stand in the gap in behalf of those over whom we have been given charge. And Paul, I like his concluding admonition in the book of Colossians when he says, Colossians 3, verse 16, let let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We live in a world of rights that has no sense of purpose, just rights. Everyone demands their rights and that demands that their rights be honored. But what is tolerance if there's no conscience? What good is tolerance if there's no conscience behind it? God calls us to actions and attitudes that go beyond rights. He calls us to dignity. Jesus said it simply. Love the Lord your God, Matthew 22, 37 and 38. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's call. Even if that ideal is never completely lived up to by us in life, even if we never attain to it perfectly, which we never will, but we always strive, we must value 
the dignity of others above and beyond and higher than just merely rights. Now we are at the last point in our, in our study together. We've talked about identity. Number two, we've talked about dignity. Finally, I want to talk just a bit about responsibility because I think that's also included in these first chapters in the book of Genesis for humankind. But for men today, Father's Day weekend, this is for you men. The final aspect of truth and godly manhood in the book of beginnings is found in two words. Subdue and rule. Subdue and rule. Um, men and women, you're, you're a special creation by God. That gives you not only dignity and identity, but it also gives you a responsibility. A responsibility. We were created for commitment to serve God. We have a responsibility. God created humankind in His image, in His likeness. Then He blessed them with talents and capacity, and He said, now fulfill those things. Be responsible to those things. As it says in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the, every living creature that moves on the earth. Man and woman Mankind, humankind is commissioned to rule over the earth and all the creatures in it. But there's no sense in this verse of conflict or conquering. He's not saying, I hope you do well, it's going to be tough out there. No, the world was made good. God looked at it and said, this is good. He pronounced that. So man's charge, humankind's charge to subdue the earth was not to use it and abuse it in whatever way meets our wants and needs. That's not what it's saying. God is the creator of the cosmos. He's the one who made it. He's the one who owns it. And he's given us status. He's given us privilege in this world. But it's his world. It's not our world. We are managers. We, are, we function as stewards. He's the owner of all. We're merely his representatives. The world is not ours to dispose of as we will. It's been given to us to manage with the mindset that this is God's world. This is God's world. When we're away on vacation in the Kinney home, we ask friends to take care of things at our house uh, and, you know, to mow our lawn or to water our flowers, to pick up our mail. It's still our house, but we have friends that help take care of it. When we get home, what if we got home from vacation and the lawn wasn't mowed, it was a foot high, the flowers were all dead from neglect, the mail was strewn all around because it hadn't been collected? We'd be upset. We'd be upset. I just want to make the analogy. How do you think God feels about his planet, his earth, when we treat it in such a shameful way? We are to manage it. We don't own it. We manage it for good, not for harm, not for wasteful 
destruction. This truth is reflected in God's commands, his direction to Adam and Eve uh, in the very beginning. And interestingly, when God talks about how life will be sustained here on earth in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 29 and 30, we won't turn there, but you can turn there in your own, in your own Bible. You'll notice that, that humankind was not given animals to eat. Neither were animals given animals to eat. It says simply that man's food was to be seed and plants, fruit. Animals' food and birds' food were to be um, other plants and leaves. In other words, no human, no bird, no animal takes the life of another animal for food. Interesting, isn't it? Nowhere in God's original creation. Our stewardship, in other words, what I see from that, our stewardship cannot be for our own gain, for our own want. It must always be for the sake of the rest of creation, for the sake of God, the creator and possessor of the earth. The Garden of Eden was not just a playground for man and woman. The Garden of Eden was a place to serve, to serve God. Notice what it says, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. It was a place to live and to be, but it was also a place to serve and do. That's what Eden was. There's no magic in Eden. It wasn't beautiful all by itself. It was beautiful for sure. But what I know about gardens is that they don't take care of themselves. (laughs) I've had a garden. I know personally that it doesn't work that way. I've tried it. They don't self-perpetuate. And man was placed in that garden to tend and keep it. That's what Scripture says. Adam is there not to be served, but to serve. And that second word there, to take care of, that's an interesting word. By the way, it has the same root as a word that's used in chapter number three for the angels that stand guard over the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life so that no one can pass inside. That's the same way, to take care, to protect in other words. The garden then, life then, earth then, is not something to possess. It's something to protect. And that says a lot to me as a man. God's point to you, men, to me, to you, women, to all of us, is that our, our place is to serve. Our place is to protect. Our place is to work, to keep. Eden was not a paradise vacation land of idleness. That isn't Eden. Man was created for commitment to God and to his purposes. In Eden, God brought all the animals to Adam. I love that. Can you imagine what that would have been like to have all the animal species parade by and each one be named according to their various unique traits. Can you imagine what kind of an experience that would have been? My granddaughter, Ava, was taken to the, um, what was it called? 
the living desert near her home. <laughs> and and I, I, I texted after I saw this text, for, that's her and the, the big old giraffe. I said, boy, you're a brave girl, Ava, to be standing there with that big black tongue sticking out at you if you look closely. You know, can you imagine what it would have been like to have the monkeys and penguins, the, the anteaters and hippos all prayed by, and each one was unique and special, and Adam named them all. Whatever he called them, it says in Scripture, that was its name. And so I want to ask you, that the, the lesson I get from that, what is your task? What has God given you to do? God put Adam and Eve in that place with a task, with a purpose, with a plan, with a design. What's your assignment? What's your purpose? What does God have for you to do? Maybe it's to establish a home. Maybe your purpose is to strengthen your marriage. Maybe your place is to lead a family, to teach a classroom, to work part-time or full-time for the glory of God, to care for someone who isn't well. What's your purpose, man of God, woman of God? And as you look at your purpose, I want to ask you if you would check your attitude. Do you grumble? Do you complain? Do you moan? and groan, and resent, and neglect what you've been given to do? Or are you enjoying fulfilling your service as unto God? Because that's really what we're here to do, to serve. That's what God designed us to do. Adam's assignment in the garden wasn't drudgery. It wasn't something that God gave him to do because God was tired of doing it. Okay? His duty was to care for that place joyfully, fulfilling the service that God intended for him to do. One of the pleasures, one of God's pleasures as well as ours is the joy of working together with us. That's what God loves to do more than anything, is to work together with us. The more difficult the task that he's given us, and some of us are facing challenging ones now, the greater the joy is to see what God will do with us and through us and just what he can accomplish. The book of beginnings challenges men on Father's Day to man up, <laughs> to man up, step into your calling, to serve, to serve where God has placed you in the strength that God has given you for the purpose that God has assigned you for his glory, for his honor. Unless you think that your calling to serve, to give, to help, to strengthen, to care is too lowly for you, you need something more. I'd like you to consider the Son of Man who when he described his reason for coming said it simply, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so to you, to me, my challenge, men and women of God, is to rejoice in the, the identity you have as, as his child, to to celebrate the dignity of every human being as being created by God and, and step into that responsibility that, that God's given you as his children. 
Would you do that? That's our challenge. That's our goal. That's our hope. That's our future. That's our destiny. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for, for being our God, for being our creator, our father, and for <clears throat> making us with such care, with such purpose and such a future. Thank you, Lord, that when we look out at each other, we can see one another with as people that are of inestimable value because each one of us are, are your, ch- your children. Thank you. And thank you, Lord, for the responsibility you've given us to fulfill the place that you've given us with the gifts and talents that you've granted us. And Lord, today, I as a man, the men in this congregation and at homes and wherever we're watching, we men want to praise you and thank you for that charge and we want to step into that. And and the women too, all of us, as your children, Lord, we want to be all that you would have us be through the strength that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.